Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello and welcome to Sports Beat After Hours. We're back. I am your host, Hemahimuli Jr., and joining me as always is the other host, the local level Canuck, Zachary Hicken. Hema, I'm glad to be here. Um not happy with the circumstances, what we have to talk about, because uh yeah, third straight loss for BYU. Freaking that's what we're garbage. gonna start with. And okay. I normally don't like starting with the bad stuff, but I think today the reason I want to is because we want to put in context just what is going on with this BYU football program. Okay. Historically, how bad this is. Yes. Um, why the Cougars aren't living up to our expectations, where the problems are, mm-hmm. if they can be fixed, if there's any hope to even go bowling this season... Um, we also have a new segment we're going to debut yeah. called My Column. <laughs> Basically, we're just going to, we're going to present, we're going to present a headline for a column that we would write, and then we have to back up the argument. I like it. What? Now we're going to talk about why this segment is the best segment we've ever, ever done coming yes. up next. <laughs> Um, also, yeah, thank you. Cracking a cold one for, uh, our friends down at BYU. Freaking they need a, guys. It. They need it. They need <laughs> something hard to drink to take off the edge right now. Um, you guys are killing us. We do have, uh, good stuff for Utah fans, though. A dominant performance from the Utes, 52-7 to against Oregon State. Are we surprised? No. No. Um... But there were some performances that were stellar and made me regain my faith in this Utah team. Yeah. Um, and their uh, their ambitions to take over the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're also going to talk the new Breaking Bad movie, El Camino. We both had a chance to watch it. So um, good. Really good. Uh, there will be spoilers there. but um, And then we have some dad advice. Good stuff mm-hmm. uh, to talk about. But... Before we kick things off, I uh, just want to mention this podcast is powered by kslsports.com. Make sure you guys go check out kslsports.com for all your local sports coverage. We got you covered with BYU, Utah, Utah State. The Jazz are about 10 days away Woo! from kicking things off. Excited there. 
Um, we got high school coverage uh, last week of the regular season coming up this week. Yeah. Uh, and then playoffs, and it's a new format with the new RPI system. So uh, exciting, like, next, like, two or three months are just going to be wild because yeah, then we have college basketball sports. kicking off and mm-hmm. it's going to be fun. Um, this is like the time of year that we thrive. We are going to be killing it. So make sure you guys are checking us out on all our platforms, KSL TV, KSL News Radio, and kslsports.com. And check out all our other podcasts if you haven't already. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't already, go check out our other podcasts. But first, let's go. as I mentioned, let's talk about the BYU Cougars, okay? BYU loses to South Florida, it's their third straight loss. They didn't just lose. They had the lead, and then they just kind of fell apart. Yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of weird because historically this BYU team, um, even under Kalani Sataki, when they have leads in the fourth quarter, those leads don't go away. But it happened for two games in a row. You go back to the Toledo game, mm-hmm. had a lead in the second half. You go to the South Florida game, had a lead in the fourth quarter, and South Florida scores, what was it, 20 unanswered, 13 unanswered? Excuse me, 13 unanswered. BYU's starting quarterback, who was actually the backup, Jaron Hall, gets hurt. Um, Cougars get run all over, and there were just so many problems, okay? And the first thing I want to start with is, yeah, there are injuries, okay? Sure. You're missing Dion Gunwalaku. Uh, it seems to me that I, I didn't go through and count how many snaps that he played, but Kyrus Tonga was out for ex- a lot of very important plays. Mm-hmm. And when he leaves the game, then it's very noticeable. Jaron Hall gets knocked out with a concussion. Um, Micah Simon's been limited. Obviously, Tyson Williams is down. Zach Wilson is down. Um, entering the game, Tristan Hodge didn't even make the trip. And I think Keanu Saliaponga and Thomas Schof. Yeah. Um, both got hurt. I think there was one more offensive lineman that got hurt. Talon Shumway got hurt towards the end of the game. Um, he was the leading receiver with four catches for 56 yards. Just kind of a really a depleted team. It was a depleted team, and it was a as it was it was a disappointing showing. So let me just say real quickly that like it's October, right? Mm-hmm. Injuries are creep up at this time of year every year. Well, especially but, when you're playing a loaded. First four weeks against yes, five teams. Which is how the Independence Era schedules work out. Yep. But we knew going into the season that BYU is not a deep team. They haven't been deep probably, I don't know, ever? <laughs> when was the last time they were... I mean, they were deep in the 80s and 90s. Okay, yeah. So, like, they're not a deep team. We knew that. We knew that going into this stretch, it was critical for BYU to get these wins in this time of the season because of the schedule that's coming up. Like mm-hmm. we knew that they were going to be depleted. We knew that you were going to take on Boise state, that BYU is going to take on Utah state at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not a surprise, but what is a surprise is how, how terrible our losses, the losses have been for the Cougars these past two games. Um, and I feel like more than just the injuries are to blame. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, schematically, the offensive line is just struggling. They aren't mm-hmm. picking up blitzes. Um, they're they're uh, making calls to like block left or right, the wrong direction. Uh-huh. Um, they aren't recognizing 
um, like what the front seven of the opposing team is doing. Uh, it, it's a lot of problems. There were 13 tackles for loss and six sacks wow. in this game. Not good, okay? South Florida is not a great team, guys, okay? This is their first win over an FBS team that is not UConn since, uh, since like, the middle of last season. They're not a good team. And if you look up, like, historical data on both programs, BYU should be pounding USF. But it had they, been exactly a year since South Florida had beat um, an FBS okay. team that was not Connecticut, UConn. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday, so exactly one year, they snapped that. I think it was like a ten-game losing streak against Jeez. FBS teams that were not Connecticut. And BYU tends to do that. They tend to be the team that teams snap their awful streaks against. Yeah. Like UMass was one thinking of like back in the day. Cause it was something like UMass had never beat an FBS team or something like that. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, but their first one was BYU. So that's, so there's that. So like, like I was saying earlier though, the offensive line just isn't getting it done. Mm-hmm. They're struggling, especially this was supposed to be tabbed. One of the best offensive lines in the Kalani, not just the Kalani Satake era, but like maybe post Lavelle Edwards. Right. Just the, the hype that this group had coming in with the experience that they had, very deep. Yeah. They've been very disappointing, extremely disappointing. They have not lived up to the preseason expectations. Okay. Um, not just that, the front seven on the defensive side of the ball has just struggled to dominate in the trenches and mm-hmm. stop the run the last two games against. I mean, when you're BYU, you're not quite a P5 caliber program. Sure. You can put low to mid P5 athletes, for the most part, on your starting 22, Yeah, in my opinion. You should dominate mid-level G5 programs like Toledo, like South Florida, mm-hmm. especially in the trenches, because you're outweighing these guys by 30 to 50 pounds. Yes. Um, you should be stronger, bigger, more physical, especially with the amount of experience that they have. Yeah. But BYU is getting pushed around by South Florida's offensive line. They're taking horrible angles to tackle. I mean, you look at the uh, the 41 yard run that Jordan Cronkite busted off, mm-hmm. and Sawyer Powell and Keenan Peely go flying in, taking horrible angles. Yeah. And. Tyler Algier is not making the right read at middle linebacker when he's seeing the run. He's he's just frozen. He doesn't even take a step, mm-hmm. and he gets blown up by two blockers. And so just seeing stuff like that, like basic things that a, a sophomore in high school should be able to read, runner pass block, and <clears throat> BYU's linebackers aren't reacting. Yeah. That's really disappointing. I think for me, you know, I – if they're a really young player, like if they're freshmen, um, maybe if they're sophomores who are filling a role of a senior from last year, I I tend to give them a little bit of slack. I'll be like, cool, you messed up this game. You were awful. Don't do it again. But the fact that this happened two games in a row makes me very concerned. And it's a lot of freshmen and sophomores that are making these mistakes that are really hurting BYU. Yeah. And I... 
like I the thing that is concerning to me is I feel like putting these underclassmen in these positions, Kalani Satake is trying to prepare for the future. He doesn't have that luxury right now. Sure. He does not have the luxury to develop these guys because his job's on the line. Yeah. And if not his job, then it's his assistant coach's jobs. Exactly. And I don't disagree with you, but I think, yeah, let's keep airing out our problems with BYU's performances. Then we'll get into the coaching because yeah. you have some really good stats that are really interesting. And we'll definitely have to spend separate time on like the coaching aspect of it all. Yeah. But, yeah. Yes. Underclassmen. Sure. You, you know what? That's kind of like, wouldn't that be the collegiate of, version of tanking? Is you just play all your freshmen and play all your sophomores. So you want to know something interesting? There was um, something that came out on social media about the Houston football program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana Holgerson, the head coach there, apparently after um, game four and Houston was like one and three or two and two or something, okay. not living up to the expectations that they had entering the season, when they their quarterback, Derek King, was like a Heisman, like dark horse mm-hmm. entering the season, Um they were kind of tabbed as one of the top G5 programs. He went to, I think they have like 20-ish seniors, and all of them had red shirts available. He asked if they'd sit the rest of the season so they could play wow. 2020. Okay, that's, that's and it pretty came extreme. out because one of the, uh, one of the players that was Seven. asked actually had like an injury, and he was really bothered by that whole idea. So he quit the program and like kind of aired out like the dirty laundry that was going on. It's an interesting approach, and sure. this new redshirt rule definitely makes it a possibility. I mean, it, it's what not it does, illegal. It's not illegal, and it helps also if you have guys that are rehabbing, like what Utah's doing with Britton Covey. Exactly. What BYU's going to do with Chris Wilcox and Troy Warner. Why don't you use that if if your expectations, you know, if BYU yes. started the season 1-3 and three or 0-4 oh or whatever, why wouldn't you approach like a guy like Dion Gunwalaku or, um, right. you know, some of these guys who are seniors and see if they'd be interested in doing that and getting yeah. an extra year of eligibility back. I, I don't see anything wrong with it personally. No. And it's like the, so, but okay. they're past that point at this right. point. They're six sure. games into the season. But okay. So if BYU is tanking, quote unquote tanking, right. Um, you, what you'd want to do is get all your freshmen to play major minutes to, it's growing pains. Mm-hmm. They're going to throw crappy games like Toledo. like. And I'm not saying BYU is tanking. I'm just saying these two performances, recent performances, were awful. So why don't you take the rest of the season, get your freshmen all the reps that they can, and try to salvage something for the future because BYU's future doesn't look great. I think the problem is is that if Kalani does this and they don't make a bowl— I don't think he'll be around to coach him next year. That's a possibility. And there's a big possibility that they don't make a bowl game this year because they have to beat one of Utah State, Boise State, and San Diego State. Utah State's probably the most likely um, just because Utah State's also dealing with some very serious injury Mm -hmm. problems after that game against LSU. Um, Jalen Warren, Gerald Bright, uh, Seosa Mariner, and Caleb Rapp Uh all got hurt in that game. Um, So... That could help BYU. I mean, that game's still three weeks away. Yeah. So we don't know what's going to happen, but BYU has to win one of those three games for a chance to go bowling. But even if, okay, so if BYU doesn't make a bowl, 
some heads will roll, right? There's a saying that says, you don't make a bowl, heads will roll. Okay, but let's say they barely make a bowl. This year has been pretty embarrassing. Combine that with 2017, heads could still possibly roll. I, I think that heads are, game. I think basically after the last two games, there are going to be people that are gone by the end of the season. For sure. And I think there are a couple of people that should be gone. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Because you take, let's go back to the players. The one player that I thought had a pretty good game, Lupini Katoa. One of the lone bright spots on that BYU offense. Um, he was one of the few that were actually getting stuff done. He was making some good runs, um, making the defense respect the run a little bit. Um. But you're faced with short yardage situations, and you run jet sweeps, especially in the red zone. Like, yeah, that's the thing we've complained about the play calling for Jeff Grimes, and it's not getting any better. Like, it's not. the trickeration isn't good. The the I mean, short yardage situations are just terrible. I mean, it took it took Jeff Grimes until the Tennessee game to use. Tyson Williams correctly. Yeah. That's that's that learning curve's too long. You need to figure out what's working and then do that. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. it's it's insane. So Lopini's um actually getting stuff done on the ground and then on short yardage situations you run jet sweeps or you throw. Yeah. With your quarterback who's your realistically a third fourth string quarterback yeah um so what i want to do now um i think is this all the dirty laundry that you want to air for yeah this game? i think but so. i don't know how much longer i want to talk about it but yeah. we're gonna make things a little bit more painful <laughs> we're gonna rank the worst losses of, of the sataki era okay okay and we're gonna start we've already been talking about what i have for number three it's this game against south florida this is your number three. This is my number three. Out this of five. Is, this, uh, no, we're just going to do top three. Oh, top three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So this is my third one. Um, just an embarrassing loss all around. Just the circumstances. Charlie Strong is a guy that basically was like on life support for his job. Um, he was yeah. one of the guys who um, was kind of tabbed as being on the hot, hot seat. seat. Yeah. Same with Kalani. Like this was a must win for both coaches and they were just absolutely outcoached, which is embarrassing because South Florida is, as we've said, not a great football program. No. Who's your number three? Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, this one's pretty close. Okay. Yeah. I'll say this one. Okay. Okay. Um, let's go with my number two. East Carolina in 2017. Oh, interesting. Um, BYU enters that game with East Carolina being like one of the worst offensive teams in the country, or excuse me, one of the worst defensive teams in the country. Yeah. And they just couldn't even put up points. Um, kind of had shades of this. Uh, I don't know why, but the South Florida game just kind of reminded me of that game. Oddly, um, it was they were both played on CBS Sports Network. Mm-hmm. East Coast games that a bunch of guys got injured. Um, the East Carolina game just wasn't even close. It was thirty-three to seventeen, um, but yeah, East Carolina scored like fourteen points in the fourth quarter. So, um, 
oddly enough, that game was against Gardner Minshew, uh, who's now with Jacksonville in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, just that was that was a really really bad loss in my opinion. Um, I'm gonna pick my number two is uh, um, BYU's loss to Northern Illinois probably. Yeah, that's a really bad loss for me because. First of all, it's Northern Illinois, okay? If you're mm-hmm. a program like BYU, you should be smashing these schools. Even if they're, quote-unquote, picked to win the MAC, which they were that year. I think it was 2018. Yeah, it was last year. And uh, It, it was uh, Zach Wilson's second start after the Hawaii game. Mm, okay, that's right. Um, but the fact that it was, I think it was like 7-6. to six. No. Yeah. Something like that. With two field goals. BYU yeah. Took two field they didn't goals. score a single touchdown against NIU. No. Like, that's embarrassing to me is not being able to score a touchdown. Well, and what was odd about that game is it was like after the excitement of the Hawaii game, Hawaii um, was like 6-0 and or something entering the game. I'm trying to remember. Um, something like they that. Like they were like 5-1 and one or 6-0. and um. Let's see, I got it right here. Okay, they were six and yeah, six and one entering the game. BYU just dominates forty nine to twenty three. Zach Wilson looks great. And then what happens is uh um BYU can't even score a touchdown and as you said, lost seven to six at home. Yeah. It wasn't at a home. great game. Yeah. And I, I also remember around that time it was that whole protect Lavelle's house thing that was going on so embarrassing yeah it's like yeah anyways that's my number two um i think we're gonna agree on number one i have it as umass 2017 Mm -hmm. senior night um two of the best players um to go out uh to play for byu in the independence era t john curlman fred warner finish off their senior year with a loss against umass um i believe it was umass's First win against an FBS team. Yeah. Um, just all around bad. Just bad, 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 bad. Um, and it's like, we didn't even say Toledo. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, there's been some real stinkers. Sorry, it was, it was UMass's first road win against an FBS team because they beat, okay, uh, Georgia Southern and, uh, uh, Appalachian State earlier in the season. Both of those games were at home. Yeah. Still. Not good. No. Not good at all. Um, so, yeah, just a lot of really stinky losses yeah, over the last four years. and that. But there have been some great wins sprinkled <sighs> that's, in. That's the weird that's thing. That's the really hard thing about this is that in between that, you have the win at Wisconsin. You have the USC win. You have the Tennessee win. Yeah, the Arizona win. Yeah, the Away. two Arizona wins. Yeah, the two Arizona wins. Yeah. Um, it's just... I don't get it. I don't know if BYU's losing focus as the season goes on. I don't know. I I don't know if there's discipline. I I think part of it's due to injuries, but yeah, man, it's just it's been such a weird it's, ride. It's <laughs> such it's been such a roller coaster in the Kalani Satake era. The, I I think the, the Michigan State and uh, Mississippi State wins oh, as well. Yes, Michigan State. I, I mean, that. you have Kalani Satake beating P five programs. Respected blue P5 chip programs, P5 programs, yeah, at like a, a level that I don't think we've really ever seen. That's kind of unprecedented for any BYU 
coach, even Lavelle Edwards. But then yeah. losing to teams like South Florida and Toledo just it doesn't make any sense, and it's not excusable in any way. Uh, the only thing I can sort of wrap my head around is the inconsistency in BYU's wins versus their bad losses kind of matches the inconsistency with the coaching staffs that they've had. There's been a lot of coaching changes at BYU, hmm. and I think that must play a role in it somehow, either in the way that you recruit versus the way you treat athletes or utilize athletes that aren't your recruits and the way you you call plays, the way you go into certain situations, the, the way you learn from them. I think all of this has to do with coaching. The players do share blame, and we talked mm-hmm. about that at the beginning of this podcast. But for me, the biggest beef is coaching. And I don't think it's necessarily Kalani Sataki's fault. No, no. But he did hire the coaches he has around him. Right now, for sure. He makes that decision. And so the, ultimately, it does all come back to him. If players aren't playing with, um, if they aren't playing uh, with any urgency, if they aren't um, hustling after uh, wide receivers to get past them, yeah. Um, if they aren't making taking the proper angles to make tackles, mm-hmm. that's all stuff that can be corrected in practice, and it's not being fixed. And I'm sick of hearing we need to look at the film. Right. I don't know how much film you need to look at. No. When. People are seeing it while they're watching the game live, you know? But, all, yeah, and also, like, I don't care if you look at the film because your coaches won't learn from the film that they watch anyways. Yeah. And that's that's the thing for me, too. Now, this is interesting because we talked about this earlier, but Kalani Satake talked about how he wanted to be the Polynesian LaFell Edwards. The biggest thing – okay, I love Kalani. I love LaFell Edwards. I respect them both. Um, my dad, my uncles, they all played under Lavelle. The thing that differentiates Lavelle from Kalani right now, the biggest thing besides the championship or whatever, is just that Lavelle knew how to hire people and build people around him that can make the team better. Mm-hmm. And Kalani has not been able to show that he can do that. No. Now you can debate like whether or not, you know, um, Ty Detmer was actually his hire Whatever. It it still stands to reason that the people around Kalani aren't getting the job done. No. So something has to change. And I don't know what it is, honestly. I have no idea what the what the solution is. Do you have any short term fixes for this problem? I don't see any. Um He does have to do something, so I know someone's gonna get fired. I think Kalani has to start calling the defense. Interesting. Eliza's not getting it done. No, absolutely not. I yeah. mean, they're, what, 123rd out of 127 in rushing defense. Mm-hmm. Something needs to change. Kalani needs to take more of a hands-on approach. I, this is his job on the line. This yeah. is him being able to provide for his family and keep his dream job. Mm-hmm. He, there needs to be some urgency on his end. Um, and it needs to ha- It needed to happen during this bye week. Yeah. It should have happened two weeks ago, it honestly. <clears throat> it needed The bleeding needed to be stopped after the loss against Toledo. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, and now, you know, he goes into a, a fairly tough stretch with Boise State, a bye in the Utah State, yeah. needing to fix a lot of things. They have a lot of problems that they got to fix. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, something's got to change. We know that. We aren't the ones who are making the decision. Thank goodness, sure. because you know what? That's way above our pay grade. Yeah. Let me tell you what's not above our pay grade. Okay. We are sports journalists. Okay. <laughs> sports journalists. Also, you know, once they graduate into uh, highly respected media members, they become columnists. <laughs> we are promoting ourselves to the position of uh, after-hours columnist, okay? We have a new segment we talked about it earlier. It's called My Column. Okay? My Column. Based around the whole Twitter meme where people <laughs> go, why Michigan is back, My Column, or why Texas yeah. is back, My Column, you know? <laughs> Uh, so we are taking this. We are taking three headlines that we have to argue. We're okay. going to keep it brief, but we have to make a, a good argument on why it is. So you're so you'll present the the you give the article. headline. Okay. You give the headline, and then you have to back up your headline. Okay. okay. Do one of us want to back it up, and the other one have to rebut it, or what? Just just back, back it up. No, no, we just back up our okay. own things, and then you you give yours. I'll give mine. So for okay, how many are we doing? Because I don't three, even know if I have three. three. <laughs> okay. okay, you start. What you start? Okay, fine. Okay, okay. Number one, the internet killed BYU football. My column. <laughs> the internet killed BYU football. Yes. Okay, let's go. Okay, so the internet killed BYU football. Okay, there are two reasons. Let me tell you why. Number one. Number one. Social media. And the whole, you know, everyone's a detective and everyone's an investigative reporter. (laughs) And the reason why is because there is stuff that athletes would get away with in the 80s and 90s. Okay. That they wouldn't get away with today. Absolutely. You have Jim McMahon carrying six packs and keggers. Uh Uh-huh. You know, golfing on on the golf course. With a beer in his hand, with a Bud Light in his hand. Okay. Um, that's not going down in 2019. Okay. Everyone finds out if uh, if a, if an athlete shows up to a party that he shouldn't be at. Okay. Okay. There are ways to get away with it. Sometimes kids do, but it's not as frequent, and that's why less LDS athletes are coming to BYU. Now, there's a second aspect to this, okay? okay. The number two reason that the internet killed BYU football is that... Once kids got to the point that they could start uploading their highlights and their recruiting tape and recruiting hit, you know, Huddle and Rivals and 24-7 and Scout.com, and Utah went from becoming just this little-known commodity that Utah and BYU could recruit the heck out of. Okay. Um, Now Utah is a place that has it, it's a national recruiting ground. You have Pac-12 schools, Big Ten, SEC programs coming in all the time to recruit away some of the best kids in the state. Normally they're staying sure. in the state. And so because highlights are going out on social media and on Huddle and you know all the websites that I already mentioned, kids are getting noticed. They're going elsewhere. They're not going to BYU. They're not going to Utah. Interesting. Mainly they're not going to BYU. They're going to... Alabama, and you just look at the caliber of kids that BYU had committed early on, freshman, sophomore, junior years, their tape blows up, they got offers from Alabama, and they're going outside of the state. Okay. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. I like it. All right. All right. I'm done. Point's over. Point one is over. Okay. We need an honorary BYU football head coach 
office, my column. Okay, this is the reason. <laughs> we have to have – everyone knows that you need to be an LDS member, um, an active LDS member, to be the head coach for BYU football. What we need is – like some kind of head of the football program that doesn't actually do anything, but is there because they are an active LDS member of the church. Okay. So we need a coach Kalani Satake, but he doesn't actually so coach. So he's like the head coach emeritus. Yes, exactly. Then we have like a assistant coach, which is like Cliff Kingsbury or something like that, who just comes in, takes the reins. Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Lincoln Riley would be great. Lincoln Riley comes in as the assistant coach, but is actually the head coach. But the but Kalani retains the title. Of so head coach. so Kalani's the head coach of the uh, of the coach um, of the twelve, and then <laughs> exactly whoever comes in as the acting head coach is actually the coach of the team. Yes, but his his title is actually the acting head coach. Yes, and see that's how we skirt around this rule of the head coach having to be an actor. Because let's be honest, we can't fire Kalani Satake because. There's no one else to replace him. You can't. There's no – find me an active LDS head coach that can get the job done that is willing to take pennies on the dollar as a salary. I have a guy. Okay. Jay Hill. Maybe. Yeah, I think he's the best option if they replace Kalani. Sure. But I like your idea. Yeah. I really like your idea. So That's a great idea. You keep, you keep the rule, but it's just kind of a, an honorary title. Okay, I like it. Okay, what's your what's your second one? Okay, second one. The only reason that BYU's football program is not dead is because of the honor code. My column. Oh, okay. This isn't hot at all. I think this is the truth. Preach. Okay, let me tell you why. For as much as BYU struggles recruiting okay. a lot of LDS athletes and non-LDS athletes, mm-hmm. there are kids that still want to come to BYU because of the tie to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Absolutely. And the honor code. I agree. You're missing out on a lot of kids like Jamal Williams, uh, Tyson Williams, uh-huh. Fred Warner, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tanner Mangum, a lot of guys that want to go out and live a better life without distractions mm-hmm. um, because of the honor code. And it's just also a built-in um, recruiting base that you have to go after Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. If you lose that affiliation, the honor code, that goes away. There is no draw to BYU. It does make them unique, for sure. For members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you get rid of that. Now, you could argue, yeah, you could get more non-LDS athletes, but... Okay, the non-LDS athletes, the non-members that people want to go after... Yeah. Have you been to Provo? <laughs> There's not much diversity, okay? Sure. It's not a hopping place. For as much as people bag on, um, you know, places like Knoxville and uh, <laughs> other small college towns, Baton Rouge, okay, um, wherever the heck West Virginia is located, it's at least a diverse college town. Sure. You know, I think that's there's fair. something that's mixing up a little bit, you yeah. know. Um, just because of the culture, I th- I don't know that you could go after anything that's outside of BYU's typical base if mm. you go out and get rid of that. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, you could add a couple kids, but I don't know how yeah. it would go. So This is perfect because my turn? Yeah, your turn. My number two is the honor code needs a three strikes rule. My column. 
Okay. So the honor code, we agree, will never change. Neither should it change. Because I think it, it does, should in some ways. It, well, sure. I think people should grow up here. But it should. <laughs> yeah. Grow your hair out. No, like it, we shouldn't get rid of it, right? No, I agree. Um, what I think there should be is a three strikes rule, no ask, no tell kind of policy where athletes can break the honor code three times before getting really kicked out of BYU. Okay. Because. Is Mike Littlewood in charge of the honor code office now? <laughs> It's it's just you know like it affords they're young kids right okay yeah. and the, the kids will screw up yeah. and you know what I think if a kid screws up three times that's more than enough for because there's always why not seven <clears throat> times seven okay or seventy times seven seventy times seven yeah you're bringing up a great point it's like whenever a student gets kicked out of BYU and goes to play for another school. Maybe a school that's 50 miles north of the school that he got kicked out of. Um, people always are like, oh, the school is too hard on him. If there's a clear three strikes rule, you can't really say that the school was too hard on him if you've broken the rule three times. And on the other side, um, I think it does avoid, uh, afford the athlete some some degree of forgiveness where, you know, you screw up two times. Cool. Like. Truly be sorry. Fix that problem. No harm, no foul. You're good. Can you erase good. these strikes? Um, ah, there, there could be like a expiration period of like two years. But, yeah. But by the time like, you know, you get two strikes after two years, that's four years. Like, yeah, sure. You're, okay. You're already done. Anyways, like three strike rule for the honor code. Okay. I like that. Okay. My last one. Okay. And this one might be more of a stretch than uh, my other two. The turning point for Kalani Satake's head coaching career at BYU was the 2016 game against Utah. When he goes for two, doesn't get it. Uh, New Orleans Saints uh, legend Taysom Hill does not complete that conversion. If, If that... Two-point conversion is made, and BYU wins that game. Kalani's trajectory for his head coaching career is completely different. Wow. You think so? 100%. Okay. I think that he gets a monkey off his back, and he doesn't have to stress about winning rivalry games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it may help a little bit in recruiting. Maybe he gets a little bit better athletes. Maybe he's able to retain some guys that left. Uh-huh. Um, maybe there's not as much pressure on him to win these rivalry games. Um, and you know, ultimately, I don't know that BYU uses, loses to UCLA the next week and then, uh, West Virginia the week after that, because you know what? They're riding hot. Mm-hmm. They're feeling good. They were a ranked team. They got a little bit of swag, a little bit of mojo. Um, but they start to press a little bit in some of these games and they end up losing some close games. I D- think, I think what that game would have done is it puts BYU in 10 and 2 11 and 1 territory in the regular season? Uh-huh. They're in contention to go to a New Year's 6 bowl in Kalani's first year. Yeah. That changes the expectations for 2017. Now, granted it doesn't change the teams that you have. Sure. But it does change some things a little bit. And uh I think we'd look at Kalani's um tenure as head coach a little bit differently. Hmm. If he if BYU wins that game cuz 
they lose that game, they lose two more. They're on a three game. They're one and three to start the season. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's my that's my take. If uh, if BYU wins that first game against Utah, that's a that's a really interesting what if. Yeah, because that I'm not gonna lie, because you know I went to that game. I was there. I I was yeah. uh, I was shooting it for uh, uh, KBYU when I was a student. That that two point conversion chain or that attempt, I should say, before he before it happened, it you could feel it in the air that everyone was super nervous. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that split second, Kalani had control of the entire stadium. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that would have changed things. Well, and the thing too is it completely shifts the dynamic. He's one and zero in the rivalry. Yeah, to start out, and he, quote unquote. The apprentices uh, beat the master. Yeah, that would have been a big win. You know, it, sure. it completely changes the dynamic of the way that we talk about Kalani, the way we talk about, hey, you know what? He goes for it and he gets it done. You know what? Yep. Um, but alas, it doesn't happen. And uh, Taysom Hill is stopped and BYU loses 20 to 19. And uh, yeah, 2019, we're looking back and asking what if. <laughs> so. That's, that's my good. final one. That's my final like column. It. I don't even have a third one. I think we should just end on that. Okay, because that's we're a really done. good one. Um, all right. Well, I want to move on to Utah. Actually, you know, I got one question. Can BYU go bowling this season? Can they? Yes. Will they? Nah. I okay. don't think so. You, what, what do you think they finished? Five and seven? Yeah. I okay. think they finished just under it because, I mean, they really, really have to turn stuff around this week. Which I don't see happening. Um, Harson's a great coach. I think that coaching staff will outcoach BYU's. Um, so I don't see them winning that game. And then the bye after that, before Utah State, that concerns me because it does, BYU doesn't seem to do well after buys. So I mean, like you said, they could beat Utah State, but that's a that's a. In my book, guaranteed loss against Boise, and it maybe win against Utah State. Yeah, and the odds aren't great. Yeah, so okay, yeah. no, I I agree. I think at this point, um, depending on when Zach Wilson comes back, if he's somehow able to come back for the Utah State game, and he's good enough that he could be, you know, ninety percent of what we saw in uh, the games against Tennessee, USC. Their, Toledo. Odds, their odds of winning definitely go up. Yeah. But should Zach Wilson come back for no, Utah No, I don't State? think he should come back until the Idaho State game. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I think that you work him back in at Idaho State, he starts at UMass, and then he gets the final game of the season against San Diego State. That could be the game that they're playing for uh, bowl eligibility for. That could be. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. <clears throat> we will see. Okay, let's move on to Utah. We've spent way too much time on BYU, way more than we expected to. <laughs> um. But does that surprise you? No. 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 Okay. Uh, Utah. Let's talk Utah's game against um, Oregon State. Absolute dominating performance from Utah. And the thing that I love about this performance that we saw from Utah is, number one, it's coming off of a bye week. Um, Mm -hmm. You come off of a really emotional loss against Washington State. Uh kind of trying to prove yourself still. People still don't know quite what Utah is after that loss to USC, but you come out and just boat race Oregon State as you should. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I think it readjusts, even though Oregon State's not a great team, they're 2-4, and 1-2 and two in the conference, it readjusts what our expectations for Utah and what they can do um, down the stretch at, at uh, full speed. Because mm-hmm. they, they have Zach Moss back. Tyler Huntley is looking great. Tyler Huntley is looking unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. Do we need to rethink what we... Um, the way that we talk about Tyler Hundley, but um, I just want to talk a couple things. Uh, number one, Zach Moss. Yes, he comes back from injury and it looks like he hasn't missed a step. Dude, ninety-one yard rushing touchdown. He rushes for two touchdowns. He was great. Amazing, ninety-one yard touchdown. Um, me and Sly were talking about this earlier. Um, Zach Moss. <clears throat> is doing a great job of, like, not only busting big runs when he needs to and, you know, just being his great playmaking self, but he's also learned to control his um, performance as needed. For example, that 91-yard where yarder where he, um, you know, breaks through the, the tackles and gets to the sideline, trucking it down the sideline. Um, he doesn't open it up and just like start burning people. He kind of just like eases into the to the end zone, like I'm gonna get there when I get there, kind of thing. Because we, he doesn't want to pull anything, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's basically the what the second possession of the game, and you know he hasn't been playing at a high peak quite yet because the game just started. So like obviously, so he's he's learning to control. Um, his performance, and um, I think that's so smart because they're definitely going to need Zach Moss, especially when they get to the Pac-12 championship. When they and get yes, there. they're going to go to okay. the Pac-12 championship. Okay, I love that. Um, this performance just proved to me that they can go all out on all cylinders and all facets of the game when they need to. Mm-hmm. They controlled the game. They did exactly what they needed to do. Um, and sure, Oregon State's not great, but you're also you are away. They were in Corvallis, like hostile territory. Well, and the thing too is that Utah a lot of times plays down to its opponents. Uh huh. Like you talk about the Idaho State win. It was thirty-one to zero, but like you expect more against an FCS right. team. Um, NIU thirty-five seventeen. You know. Yeah. Um, USC. Utah, frankly, should have won that game, but kind yeah. of played down to USC's competition a little bit and just, you know, they, sh- they struggled against that spread offense. But then I think I th- I think that loss probably did more good. For sure. For the mentality of this team. Now, it's going to hurt them. In, it hurts them in the Pac-12 South standings because... It makes it harder. Yeah, it makes the road harder, but it kind of gave them back that edge mentality that they need yeah. to uh, play with a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they're the favorites doesn't mean they're going to run away with it. And so you saw that mentality against Washington State. Yes. And Mike Leach was, like, blaming his own guys. As much as, you know, Mike Leach may want to blame his own guys, Utah just has that killer mentality right now. And you can see it when they are boat racing Oregon State Mm -hmm. 52-0. It was an impressive game. I mean, that's everything that you want. They They... Dominated in all facets. Yeah. You had a pick six. Um, anytime they score on defense, the wide receivers are making huge plays. That Samson Nakua catch was amazing. Yeah. 
I mean, that was that may have been one of the best catches I've seen a Utah wide receiver make in the last two seasons. Like, yeah. the only other last guy that could make catches like that um, consistently was, like, Drez Anderson. Yeah. You know? Um, and so when you surround Tyler Huntley with playmakers like that, like, this offense is clicking. Clicking. And they're clicking in the most important time of the year that they need to because they have – a sure. three-game stretch that's the most important three-game stretch of the season, Arizona State, Cal, and Washington. Yeah, Arguably sure. their toughest three-game stretch of the year. So, and, and the cool thing is, too, they were missing Umana from, like, the first quarter. Yeah, he got, he got he out got, for targeting. Yeah, he got kicked out for targeting, and they didn't lose a step no. with, a, with whoever was backing up center. I don't know who it was. But... um. That's 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 what you need is you need to be able to replace somebody when you need to replace them and still click on all cylinders. And they did that. So that's why I think Utah turned a corner. They're playing with, like you said, that edge, that mentality, and they're going to carry that on with them when they play Arizona State this week. Yeah, and their defense is flying around too. Um, just want to mention a couple stats. Six tackles for loss, eight pass deflections, uh, six quarterback hurries. Insane. Yeah. Um. And yes, we do understand this is Oregon State. Right. But this is the performance you need to expect against Oregon State. Yes. And there's and you know, there's still it's there's still a Pac twelve school. Mm-hmm. Like they're no as down as they may be, they're still they still have Pac twelve athletes, and so it's still impressive. Uh Jalen Johnson played out of his mind. He was an animal. I think this is the game that's gonna go on his highlight reel when he enters the draft. Yeah. It's he he was Sideline to sideline, um, sink like solo tackles, tackling like stopping he the run. He led the team in tackles. That's that's crazy as a cornerback. Yeah, yeah, because the line was eating people up. But he led the the team in tackles. Yeah, eight he tackles. Had, you know, he had a bunch of big breakups. Um, he just played out of his mind. Uh, Lucky Fotu also was just eating that lineup, dude. I I I couldn't believe how he just. Imposed his will on that offensive line. Yeah, he had two tackles for loss and a pass deflection. So, yeah, pretty dominant performance from Lucky Foto. Um, I want to go back to the offense for a minute, though. Do we need to change our perception of Tyler Huntley? Um, I, I, okay. So I say no because we knew who he was going into this season. We knew he was he was a good quarterback last year. He's a good quarterback this year. I think the Maybe if there is a change in perception, it's um, how much he was able to improve in the offseason. Not only, like, we've all heard this before, like, he improved his body and um, his strength. But his body, his strength are better. His um, reading of the defense is better. His balls are are definitely better. <laughs> He's been throwing great balls. Um, and that... that um, Nakua catch is a great example of that. He looked off the the post safety as Samson was running that like um, fade, I guess it was is what it was, and he put that ball exactly where Samson could get it, way out of the reach of whatever corner was covering mm-hmm. him. That's that was a great throw, and he was settling in the pocket more. Is I just. He's improved, and I think that's the biggest takeaway if we are to change our perception of him. But as far as, like, our opinion of what kind of quarterback he is, not. I think we, we thought he was good before. We know he's good now. Um, 
Now, is, is he an NFL quarterback? Is that that's probably the question most people on Twitter are asking? Is if Tyler Huntley is a first round quarterback? I don't know, but the, he's definitely getting there. This offense translates more to the NFL than any other offense that he's played in, so it could help. And he's playing really help. good in it. I yeah. mean, completed seventy five percent of his passes, uh, an average of ten point six yards per attempt. Nine touchdowns, no interceptions, a quarterback rating of 187.6. He's been dominant, um, and he deserves every accolade and pray, every amount of praise that he's getting. For sure. Um, and this is where he's going to be tested. This next, These next this three stretch. games, yes, this exactly. stretch is where it's going to be tested. And you know what? If he gets through it and is able to play at the level that he's been playing at, then you know what? You need to look at him as, like, conference Offensive player of the year. Oh, absolutely. Or most improved player. I don't know if that's an award in the Pac-12, but yeah, you know, you look at him as a guy who's potentially first team All Pac-12. If he's able to, uh, if he's able to lead Utah in a stretch where they run the table for the rest of the season. Yeah, and you know, if he leads this team to a Pac-12 championship, then he's absolutely going to be the offensive player of the year. Can Utah run the table? They can. Will they? I know I know that you're getting technical here. <laughs> will they run the table? Um I think they will. I think so too. The more and more I look at it, I had a lot of questions after that USC yes. game. A lot of soul searching. A lot that I needed answered and the Utes have proven every single question that I had. I I mean I look at it this way. They have to run the table because they lost to USC. They want to run the table because they want to get a Pac-12 championship. Those two things combined, knowing this youth squad, who they are, um, that makes me think that they're going to do it, especially as of late. I think so, too. I think they have all the making to have a special season this year, and so I'm excited to see where things go. I'm excited for Saturday. Um, neither of us will be there. Sam no. Farnsworth will actually be there, so... Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you guys check out his coverage. I'll be at the uh, BYU-Boise State game, freezing in the snow. Hema, you'll be back here nice and warm. Yeah, but um, I'll be running things over here, so yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, a lot of and good then, games. You know what? You are getting rewarded with a trip to Seattle in a couple weeks. So, so that's going to be good. I'm excited. Um, let's see. Uh, what I want to move on to now, I think we're done with football. Yeah. Um, let's mention Weber State did beat Southern Utah. Their defense has been dominant. Four interceptions against the Thunderbirds. Um, that Sorry, is our uh, Weber State minute brought to you by uh, Timex Watches. I don't know. <laughs> brought to you by. Um, what's a good Ogden joint to eat at? Burger Bar. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't go up to Ogden very often. Yeah, me neither. Um, well, what I want to talk about now yeah. is El Camino. Yes. The Breaking Bad movie. Okay. Um, came out Friday morning. Uh, I watched it at 11 a.m. <laughs> while my son was napping. And uh, it lived up to almost every expectation that I could have had of it. Now, yeah. a lot of the reviews are coming back. And I'm just warning you guys, we are going to spoil it. So yep. spoiler warning, spoiler warning, spoiler warning. You've been warned. Do not listen any further now. Okay. So my expectations for it, it was pretty much on par with the expectations I had. Yeah. I saw a lot of people complaining about how slow the storyline was, how you know it took two hours just for Jesse to find this money 
Sure. Get Breaking away. Bad's a slow burn. Like, I don't but understand. it is a slow burn. And the reason that a lot of people don't realize that is because they caught up on it on like the fourth or fifth season. So they binged the first four seasons. But in between a lot of the action, there are there is a lot of like slow burn stuff. And mm-hmm. part of the reason that Breaking Bad doesn't really help itself is that the first two seasons just fly by. Yeah. Um, you know, in the first like eight episodes or whatever. You have like Crazy Eight and Tuco, yeah, both being introduced as antagonists, and they both get killed, right? Like right off the bat, like Tuco's dead by se- episode two of season two, yeah, he's already gone, and so that's why I think it kind of flies by for a lot of people. Um, but what I liked about this is number one, uh, just starting things off, it showed like the more of of a glimpse into like what Jesse went through while he was yeah. um being held in captivity by the Nazis. They do a lot of flashbacks in this one. And I like that. I liked it too. Um it's really interesting how they did it. Like if you look at it from a craft standpoint, um so Jesse meets up with his homies, um what are their names? Skinny Pete and Badger. Skinny Pete and Badger, that's right. And like he had just run away from his captors and he's got a beard and like he's dirty. Well, he takes a shower and shaves off his hair. Well, they didn't. Well, the first thing is they didn't recognize him. Right. They didn't recognize who he was. Um, then they let him in and they've been really nice. We'll get back to this part because this yeah. one kind of confused me. Um, but he, anyways, he shaves his head and his face or whatever. Um, but that helps because in all the flashbacks, he has a beard. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought was really interesting was that they use, they use the flashback so much that, to keep it from confusing you, it would cut back to Jesse with a beard and long yeah. hair. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting, that part of the uh, the craft of it all. Um, but overall, I thought it was well put together. It was riveting from start to finish. Like, even the slow parts when... Well, it was engaging. Like, I was on the edge of my seat a lot of times. Like, um, I mean, the most intense scene is, like, the whole apartment thing with the flashbacks mixed in, like... Oh, with the like police. Todd taking him to just this, the desert. Well, not even that, but like I had a sense of uneasiness just because I knew that Todd was like a a genuine psychopath after he shot the kid on the motorcycle in Breaking yeah. Bad, and so with Todd taking Jesse out of his cage. And just acting so nice to him, I thought something was up. Like I, like thought, he was gonna hurt him. I thought that he was gonna hurt him or set him up or something. Yeah. And there was just this whole sense of like eeriness with him putting like the the cab on top of the El Camino. That's oh my god. And I was thinking that like Todd was gonna try and like kill Jesse or something and like throw him in there. Now it turns out he just needed help <laughs> stashing a dead body. Which that whole thing was just absolutely wild is like, all right, Jesse, come in or yeah, Jesse, come in here. And, and Todd takes him in. And he's dead. like, what the heck? And yeah. I, you know, I honestly, the first thing my mind went to was it was like someone that he was having relations with and like he. Oh, gotcha. Like strangulated her during it's- that. And right. so I, and part of that's just because of the TV show Billions. That, oh, I haven't seen that. that yet. That's a thing in it. A lot of like BDSM. Anyway, sorry. That was like yeah. my first thought. But the fact that it was like his cleaning lady, 
and he just kept talking about how nice she was was just kind of like really disturbing. So, yeah. The, so when when Jesse is freed or whatever, and he takes him, and I was also like, "This is eerie. What's going to happen?" Once um, you realize that he just needed help putting like the thing on his El Camino, I was like, "Oh, geez, he really yeah. is a psychopath. Like he's yeah. not going to hurt Jesse. Yeah, he really just needs help." doing t- chores basically. Yeah. Um, and the cleaning lady also was like, part of it was eerie where he kills her because she found the money. Yeah. But Jesse's like, was it cause she took it? And he's like, Oh heavens. No, she was as honest as the day was long. Yeah. Like I was like, are you serious? Like yeah. he killed, he knows she's a good person and he still killed her. Yeah. It was, it was wild. It was just weird. And then like the whole keeping the tarantula that he took from the kid that he shot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so that also, was the kid's trash. Though. Also, yeah. when they're rolling up the the cleaning lady in the carpet, and he's like, "Oh, wait!" and he like unrolls her and, and he pulls, pulls his belt, belt and yeah. puts it on, yeah. puts it back on. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this guy's crazy." Um, so I I like that it brought back like so many characters that we we're familiar with. For sure, we mentioned Skinny Pete and Badger. I loved. Um, that was one of my favorite moments from the movie. Was the the reunion and like the reconciliation. Yeah. You know, they hadn't seen Jesse for so long and. There were they these guys went through so many ups and downs. A lot of it was caused by Walter White and just a lot of stress on their relationship. I mean, rewatching Breaking Bad, I'm watching. I'm in season two right now, and in season one, when Badger goes and cooks out in the desert with Jesse, and yeah. like Badger, like Jesse, like can't get the formula right, and Badger um, is getting mad because Jesse keeps throwing out like right. the drugs, and then he just leaves Badger in the middle of the desert, but like. They're, like, so close to each other that, like, literally they got over it and Badger and uh, Skinny Pete would, like, literally give the shirts off their back to help Jesse. Yeah. And, like, the coolest exchange was with Skinny Pete saying that Jesse was his hero. Yeah, that was, like, I wasn't, like, going to cry. It was just, like, touching. There aren't very many feel-good moments. Yeah, that's Like, exactly in the late, later parts of the show, especially for Jesse's storyline, yeah. but I... I Definitely thought I was one of them. I mean, his storyline is just so tragic, you know? And yeah. that that was the whole theme of this movie is, like, you look at all the tragedy that he basically had to surround himself with because of Walt. Yeah. Because he made the decision to not go into this witness protection hiding type thing. Yeah. And his whole goal was just get into it. Um, yeah, you really, watching this movie, you realize how much Walt screwed him over. Yeah, and just how much adversity that he had to deal with and how many villains that he had to deal with. I mean, Todd was, you know, the main antagonist, but the candy welding, I mean, those guys were evil. That that whole thing was insane. And the standoff was pretty crazy. Yeah. By the way, that whole part, the standoff, the shootout, whatever, it really reminded me of, now I'm not saying Jesse followed the same arc, but it does remind you of when Walter flips and he starts killing people because- Mm -hmm. He wouldn't kill anybody at first. And Jesse, you see through El Camino, he had opportunities to kill certain people and he didn't. Yeah. And um, that kind of followed the same arc leading up to the shootout at the welding place when Jesse just freaking goes all Butch Cassidy on these guys. Yeah. Like. Really smart, by the way, the way that he executed that by having the gun in his belt and then keeping it in his pocket. Yeah, the twenty two in his in his belt, but having like the forty five in his pocket. Yeah. It was yeah, genius. Yeah. Um, because I thought 
when he when they when it comes out that he's got a twenty two and the other guy's got a forty five, I'm like, oh, Jesse, don't. You're, oh, there's no dude, way my heart was somebody. in my throat. Yeah, my heart was in my throat. <clears throat> but that was such a good turn of events too, because those guys were really bad and like the flashback to when um they're testing out the welding strength yeah. of that leash that Jesse was wearing. That flashback kind of served to to remind you that this welding guy really is bad. He's not like part of the whatever group. The Nazis. Right. But he But he was just evil on yeah, his own. Yeah. Um really great bit of storytelling right there. Um So what did you think about the whole exchange with that flashback with Walter at the diner? I loved it. Yeah. Bringing Heisenberg back. I mean, Brian Cranston is probably one of my favorite TV actors of all time. He's amazing. Um, you think he's going to go down as one of the greatest TV actors of all time? I think he's on the Mount Rushmore. For sure. I'd put James Gandolfini um, from The Sopranos. Um, Brian Cranston. Huh. Just because of the range that he's able to do. Yeah. Um, Definitely, like... Because we talked Sorry, about I'm, just, I'm trying to think of what my, uh, I don't even know what my Mount Rushmore would be, but those are two good choices. Because John mean, Hamm, John Hamm would probably be on there, yeah. Uh, and then, um, I think my last one is Idris Elba for Stringer Bell in The Wire. Okay. Really, really good, compelling character. Um, and so John Hamm's a great choice because you can kind of. They're really related, him and Brian Cranston. Yeah. In the fact that they've got great comedy chops. Um, they can play. Um You know, I, I, I gotta I gotta replace Idris Elba. It's actually Michael K. Williams is who I'm gonna go with from he's also from The Wire. Okay. Which one is he? Uh he's Omar. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the dude with the scar on his face. Yeah. Okay. Um So that's my top four. I think John Hams is would be a mine. I don't know what who the rest would be, but John Hamm's a solid choice. Yeah. Um but yeah, so the so I'm trying to think of like what that diner scene what purpose it served. Well number one it was to bring back uh, right, to bring back Walter. Yeah. But they talk about Jesse's future like he had one. At that point he did. I mean what happened was, so that that was about season two, I think. It was just after they got rid of Tuco. They and Jesse, Jesse, Skinny Pete, Badger, and Combo were all dealing. And so they didn't have any overhead that they had to give to anyone else. Right. Everything that they cooked was going back to them. Yeah, okay. So they basically had just cleared about a million dollars, I think, each. So... Basically, it was projecting that they had set something up. And I think the last line, the last line is what really stuck with me the most is you didn't have to wait your whole life to do something special because that's the point that Walter has started to turn. Right. That he's real, that Walter, his purpose is no longer setting up his family. It's setting up an it's empire. Living. Yeah. It's setting it's, up an empire. That's kind of like, that was the whole, okay, that's interesting, because that's the entire, really, plot of Breaking Bad. Is, right, and it, that's just showing, in my opinion, I think it was showing that that was the turning point where he 
went from being this guy that just wanted to help out his family to becoming a drug kingpin, yeah. running the largest meth operation in the United States. I like that. Um, the whole subplot with the um, smuggler guy. He passed away on Friday right after it. What? Yeah. The guy that that act the that played him? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Um he was great by the way. Um So he was in Jackie Brown. Okay. Yeah, he won an Academy Award for uh Jackie Brown. Um it was uh his name is uh, Robert Forster. Okay. And uh he's been in other things too. I just can't remember. Oh, he's been in tons of stuff. Like he's he's one oh, of sorry those... he just got an Oscar nomination he did not win an Oscar I apologize for okay. that so um, he was nominated but he didn't win yeah that was for Jackie Brown which okay. is by the way a phenomenal movie Good it's movie. it's one of Tarantino's best yeah um let's see what else he was in uh me myself and Irene oh yeah um The Descendants Olympus has fallen London has fallen I've seen all of those um yeah. Heroes Twin Peaks. Heroes, the TV show? Yeah. Who was he in that one? Uh, I, you know, I actually never watched Heroes. Oh, I'm a big fan of Heroes. Um, anyways, yeah, that the, the whole, that whole thing was great. Um, one of the parts that I was, like, sad about the most was um, when he calls his parents. And really, it's just to steal the guns. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's just sad that he, like... His parents do like love him and care about him. Yeah, but he was so far down the path that he knew he couldn't go back to being at home. Yeah, but you just feel for him because you know he misses his family and definitely misses his brother because he asked where he was. Yeah, and so that that part was really. Do you, do you think that was genuine? Him asking about how Jake was doing? Oh, absolutely. I think there's there's certain things that he knows he will never be the same. And I think his relationship with both his parents and with his brother is are one of those things. So, and I, I agree with this. Yeah. But I think that their relationship took a point of no return um, during Breaking Bad. when Oh, for sure. They, like, kicked him out of the house. Yes. And then he ended up, like, screwing them over and buying the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the whole presenting that, like, it turned out that, like, the buyer knew that there was a meth lab, so they lost a ton of money, and then they found out that he was the buyer. Um, I think that was kind of the point of re- no return for, for sure. His par- for like his relationship with his parents. Um, you know, kind of like how Walt sold out like his family. Yeah. In a lot of ways to establish his empire, like that was Jesse selling out his family. Yeah, and I think. I look at it from like a father standpoint also where like if my son did that to me, but then he still called me and said like I need help or whatever, I would still probably help him, honestly. You're a really good dad. Like I know I'm not like trying to pat myself in the back or anything. I'm just saying that that goes into the equation of Jesse knowing that you can still know that things will never be the same and still care about somebody. And I think that's what that whole sequence was about. Okay. Um. And so, you know, he went to steal their stuff, which is bad. Yeah. But I think his feelings that he was relaying through the, the telephone were pretty were real. Were authentic and genuine. Yeah. Okay. So, I like that. I didn't see it that way, but you know what? I need an optimistic view of the world sometimes. <laughs> I don't always have that. But, um, yeah, I, I give it like an, like an 
8.9 out of 10. Okay. I can, yeah, that's pretty good. It's like a B plus. Like, it's, I think it's one of those things where I'm going to watch it again. Oh, it's absolutely rewatchable. Like, I sat down and started it again pretty quickly afterwards because, um, I just want to see if there's anything that I missed. Sure. And so I'm trying, I'm also trying to go through and rewatch Breaking Bad. Um, so I'm sure once I get around to actually finishing a rewatch of it, uh-huh. um, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I mean. Great. It was a great TV show. Yeah. It, it, it was a fitting end for one of my favorite TV characters of all time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to uh, get a chance to watch it again. And, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff I'm excited about. I'm excited for the Irishman succession, the season finale was tonight and i tried to stay off twitter right but like the few tweets i saw were just like exploding about succession i cannot wait i'm waking up at 6 a.m and i'm gonna make my (laughs) wife watch it because i cannot wait i'm so excited to see how this season ends i i think succession is like far and away the best show that's been on tv in like 10 years wow i think it's better than game of thrones Interesting. I think it's better than Billions. And I I love Billions. I talk Billions up a lot. Yeah. I just in terms of plot and character development, it's it's so good. Especially for something that is like an original series. Yeah. But um the last thing that I want to finish up with we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast is dad advice. Yeah. Bringing back some dad advice. Um okay, my dad advice this week, we um we bought a Roomba Okay. Uh, just because we were in a new house, we got we put really nice carpet in this house. Like we kind of splurged on the carpet because we wanted something that's going to be nice, that's going to um keep up with a lot of wear. Mm-hmm. But we also got like a light color, which with kids isn't always great. Yeah. So we got a Roomba just so it could kind of go through and pick up any spare dirt or anything that we need taken care of. Well, it turns out my son's favorite thing is to chase the Roomba around the house and he tries to crawl on it while oh, it's gosh. going. <laughs> and it's one of the funniest things. I, I expected him because he's scared of our, we have like a little handheld Dyson, uh-huh. which is like super convenient for like picking up like quick messages or messes. We have a big Dyson and he's scared of both of them. Okay. He's also scared of my shop back. Like my son will like crawl away, scream, cry. If we turn it on. Okay. But the Roomba he loves and he chases it around the house and like my wife sent me a video. Um, It was like going through the kitchen on the hardwood and he was wearing like long sweatpants mm. that were like very slicky and he just got on and like latched onto the back of it and it was dragging him <laughs> while it was vacuuming. Anyway, it was just funny. So um, my dad advice is if you guys have kids that are kind of hard to keep track of mm-hmm. get a Roomba and just have them <laughs> follow it around and yeah that's my dad advice for this week oh that's awesome um sheesh I'm trying to think of like a good dad advice tip to share uh you need any advice I don't like okay I can't really think of anything right now that I'm in need of but I will tell you something I'll revisit a dad advice we did way back and it was when we had Sam Farnsworth on and we talked about our sons peeing everywhere because yeah. little boys, your son will do this as soon as he's like potty trained or learns to take mm-hmm. off his diaper. He's going to pee everywhere. Yeah. 
um, we were eating breakfast this morning and, uh, we were just talking, eating, whatever. And all of a sudden my son like stands up and he's like, dad, I have to go pee. I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm like still eating my food. And he opens the back door and he goes out to the backyard and just pees <laughs> on the grass. And I'm like, it's just like, it just never stops. Yeah. But he's smarter about it now because he, he's like, no one's outside. So I'm going to go pee outside. And we're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you should tell him that he'll get a sty in his eye if he pees outside. I don't think he cares. <laughs> you know what? My mom told me that, or maybe it was my dad uh-huh. told me that when I was a kid. And it scared me so bad because I actually did like pee outside once and I got a sty like two days later. Oh, really? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. No, this. He, really he, bad. He peed outside and then he washed his hands. It's just. At least he washed thing. his hands. Yeah. There's no scaring this guy. He's crazy. Um, Yeah, I think that's all we got for you guys this week. Um, a lot coming up this week. We're going to be really busy, but hopefully we can get some something laid down on Saturday. Yeah, we'll, uh, we have a lot that we got to knock out. We're going to try and get um, – we had a couple new hires that we've been trying to get on, um, efforting to get on. It's the most, like, radio thing ever. We've been efforting <laughs> to get someone on. Do they say that? Oh, people say that all the time. Ugh. We're going to try and get on Kyle, uh, Ireland. He started here about five or six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He's a digital sports producer, um, good friend, friend of the program. Uh, I'm sure he's listening to this, and so Kyle – Love you. We appreciate you. We're excited to have you join us. Um, also going to try and get on Ben Anderson. He is uh, just joined KSLSports.com yep. on uh, on Monday. Uh, last Monday, he's our new jazz beat writer. Knows his hoops. Knows his hoops. And so uh, we'll try and get him on before the jazz season starts, talk expectations for the year, and we'll do a big jazz preview. Um, we got a, some other stuff coming up. We, uh, we're going to finish off our conspiracy pod. We're going to do um, maybe something with SNL since the new season's starting up. And it's been mm-hmm. really good so far through yeah. the first uh, three weeks or so. Um, and then we're going to do some uh, ghost stories towards the end of the month. So Spooky. Yeah, make sure you guys stay tuned to uh, our podcast. Check out kslsports.com, KSL TV, KSL News Radio. Everything that we do is excellent, so check it out. All that good stuff. Thanks for listening to Sports Beat After Hours. I'm Hemahimuli Jr. He's Zachary Hicken. Good night, everybody.